That, ladies and gentlemen, that is 2023 in seven minutes. And I think it would be highly appropriate for us to give our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ a standing ovation for what He did. For he is worthy of all power, dominion, and authority. And all, everything that happened this last year, we give praise and honor to him. We do not touch the glory that belongs only to him. It is by him, through him, and for him that all of this has happened. Now we stand in a new year. And I can tell you in advance, there's going to be opposition. Can you imagine how much Satan hates us? How much he hates the move of God in this church? And that brings up something that we, we should communicate to the church on a technical issue. A lot of people watch our services online. Thousands of people watch online. And understand that we post live video for our Sunday services on Facebook, YouTube, and on the church website. All three are live on Sunday morning. You can go in the afternoon and pick up Facebook and YouTube and watch it anytime. But to watch the church website, you have to wait till like Monday because we don't stay later on and then put it on the website. It only runs live. It'll be Monday before it comes on there. Why do I bring that up? Because I don't know how much longer we're going to be allowed to do our services on Facebook and YouTube. Um, we already have a letter this week telling us that we've been suspended probably from Facebook because of our content. So, so some of you are naive that you think, well, I'm surprised it didn't already happen, quite frankly. So uh, here's what my point. You need to start getting used to watching, reviewing, sharing from the website. From the website. They're not censoring the website. We can do what we want to from our own website, NinevaChristian.org. So right now, we're going to continue to stream on YouTube and on Facebook as long as they let us. <clears throat> but I don't think that'll be long-term. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. So as we, we stop right now and we, we give thanks for the victories that God gave us in 23. And pre we prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. I've been praying every day. Lord, prepare the church for what's coming. And that leads me into today's message. There's always been a lot of questions and speculation about the thorn. The thorn in the flesh that the Apostle Paul talks about. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, <clears throat> Excuse me. I was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Let's begin there. God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. Can you handle that statement inside your view of God that God gave Paul? A thorn in the flesh? Let me ask you a question. Did God allow it, this thorn? Or did God initiate this thorn in the flesh? Now, my opinion is this. I believe God initiated this thorn in the flesh because the purpose is to prevent Paul from becoming prideful regarding his calling, number one, <clears throat> and the great revelations that he had received. You see, if Satan were the one given the thorn in the flesh, Satan desires pride. So why would Satan give Paul something that would take away pride when Satan is the one that desires the pride of man? So let's begin with these great revelations of God that could definitely cause a man to become prideful. And, and before I read it or get into it, why is pride a problem? 
Why is pride a problem at all? Proverbs 11.2 says this, pride leads to disgrace. Why? But with humility comes wisdom. We've got on one side of man, pride. On the other side is humility. One is you go down, the other is you go up. One goes down, one goes up. One is self-centered, the other is God-centered. You see, Paul is going to experience God. If you look at his life, Paul experienced God. <clears throat> and he experienced God in a way that very few people will ever comprehend experiencing God. These are the words of Ananias when he comes to blinded Paul. Paul has encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And here's his first encounter with God. Acts twenty two fourteen, And then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. To know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen with your eyes, and what you have heard with your ears. You're going to be a a witness. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. When I read that, I think of those 168 pictures on the video. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. I want you to notice two things. You, Paul, are chosen to see and chosen to hear the risen Christ. God chose you to experience him. You are personally chosen by Jesus to be his witness. You have, been, you have personally accomplished what many have not accomplished after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection. You saw him. You heard him with your eyes, physical eyes, with your physical ears. This personal encounter with Christ will cause you to be a witness to the nations. You will have a testimony of what you have seen, of what you have heard. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. Can you see how this could make a man prideful? Can you see how this could make a man perhaps arrogant? I've seen God. I could be prideful in that moment. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. And haughtiness before the fall. Where does it come from? Why does pride cause destruction? Why does raising myself up bring destruction? Why? Well, where does it come from? Does this pride we're talking about come from God? No. Paul's going to get a thorn in the flesh to keep him away from pride. So where does pride come from? It comes from the enemy. It comes from Satan. And in Ezekiel 28, it's described as the fall of Satan himself. In Ezekiel 28, here's his description. I, God, ordained and anointed you... Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the dragon. He's got many names. I ordained and anointed you as a mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created. Do you understand something about Satan? He has a birthday. He is not eternal. He is not all-powerful. From the day that you were created, he is a created angelic being. He is powerful. A guardian cherub, an angelic guardian. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. What was the evil? Your rich commerce led you to violence, and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace 
from the mountain of God. I, God, expelled you, Satan, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with what? Pride. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Your heart was filled with pride. This was part of the sin nature that was passed onto Adam in the garden. You need to understand something as we begin this journey through the Word today. Pride did not come from God. Pride in the concept of self-elevation. Elevating self did not come from God. It came from the adversary of God. I described to you the fall of Satan. And understand, in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what happened during that moment is the pride of Satan was somehow transferred to man. To the flesh of man came the pride of Satan. It didn't come from God. The Apostle Paul had every reason to become prideful, Because he had physically seen, physically heard the risen Christ. That pride had the power to turn his attention inward. Look at me. God called me on the road to Damascus. Look at me. I've seen things in heaven no one can comprehend. Look at me. You see, pride has the ability to make your eyes look inside of you for power, for future, for A revelation, look inside of you. Instead of looking upward, you look inward. Instead of look at me, it's look at him. Pride says look at me. Humility says look at him. In fact, it is in the very context of Paul's most glorious and heavenly experience that this thorn in the flesh thing is revealed in the Scripture. It is in the context of Paul receiving his, his trip to heaven to see things that the thorn of the flesh is revealed and its purpose. So let's go to that. I want to read it from the beginning, 2 Corinthians 12, 1. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise. Do you understand what he's saying? Paul said that he had an encounter with God that lifted him into the third heaven, into the presence of God. And he doesn't know whether it was a physical lifting up, he's in the flesh, or whether he's having a vision. He says, I don't know, but I do know I was caught up to paradise. And I heard things so astounding that cannot be expressed in words. Things no human was allowed to tell. Can you imagine being able to see that, but then you can't talk about it? I'd want to talk about it, but you can't talk about it? That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. What? I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me, here's the context, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. 
Do you see how easy it would be for Paul to become prideful and say, look at me. I've seen unspeakable things in heaven. Look at me. Come to me for knowledge. Come to me for power. Come to me for revelation. I've been to heaven and come back. It would be easy to be prideful. But when Paul looked inside, this is so important. But when Paul turned his eyes and looked inside of himself, what did he see? A terrible, tormenting thorn in the flesh. It tormented him. When he looked inward, what did he see? A terrible, tormenting thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and my prideful flesh. Why? Why is it there? Why did God put that in there? To protect me from the sin of Satan. To protect me from pride that causes me to look inward at self instead of upward at God. Yes. I believe the thorn in the flesh was a physical ailment. Something that made Paul physically weak or physically sick. Something physically that was always with him, always limiting him in some way. And the logic of man would say what? If you can lift me to heaven and bring me back, you could fix this. That's the logic of man. You could fix this, why don't you? Something that prevented Paul. Why is it there? Always limiting him in some way. It's something that prevented Paul from looking inward. Because every time he looked inward, what did he see? My insufficiency. I don't see perfection when I look at me. When Paul looked inside of himself, he saw this tormenting thorn in the flesh. It's something you don't even want to look at. It takes your eyes off of you and you're forced to look somewhere else because you keep seeing this tormenting thorn of the flesh. It's hard to be prideful when you look at yourself and all you see is a tormenting thorn of the flesh. It makes you want to look somewhere else. Now here's the big question today. How will Paul respond to the thorn in the flesh? This has application to every one of us. How he responds, how will you respond? How will Paul respond to this tormenting spirit that God has placed upon him after the, follow, after the calling to follow Christ? Now, you have to understand something. It looks to me clearly that the thorn in the flesh was applied after the calling. This is important. That the thorn in the flesh doesn't come until after the calling comes. Why? And what will you do about that? This next part is so important and so important and powerful to all of us here today because we all, whether you know it or not, we struggle with pride and we struggle with self because we are all in corrupted flesh. We are all in the flesh that, that has the curse, that has the pride of Satan. It's, it's in all of us. The first thing Paul does is the same thing that we do when we experience physical pain or tormenting thorn in the flesh. What's the first thing Paul would do? What's the first thing I would do? What's the first thing you would do if you encounter a thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment? We ask God for relief. Next verse, verse 8. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. It makes sense to me. There's nothing wrong with Paul's first response to this tormenting thorn in his physical flesh. There is always a chance that God will hear that prayer. There's always a chance that God will immediately take it away. Either he'll take it away immediately or he'll take it away over time. There's a chance. There's nothing wrong. Don't feel bad about asking God for relief, asking God for healing. This is where everyone with a sound mind will start. Where? Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Everyone with a sound mind will begin here. Don't act. 
like you're some kind of spiritual giant, three different times you'd do what he did. You'd probably do it more than three. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Please, please. I begged the Lord, take it away, please. If you have this terrible sickness, this terrible physical condition, you would ask him to take it away. Let me give you an example. In John 5, Jesus is at the Bethesda pool in Jerusalem. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. What a terrible thorn in the flesh. 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for such a long time, he asked him what seemingly is a crazy question. Would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? We should not always assume that every thorn in our physical flesh is from God to keep us from becoming prideful. In fact, sometimes it would be healthy for you to hear what the man at the Bethesda pool heard. Would you like to get well? Yes, God still heals. Would you like to get well? So Paul started where we should also start. Lord, I would like to be well. When he encountered the thorn in the physical flesh, when we encounter some sickness in the human body, Lord, I would like to be well. It's a great place to start. Three times Paul asked, many of you have also had thorns in the flesh. And you have asked, and if you be honest, it's way more than three times. Lord, would you take it away? I would like to be healed. What, come what comes next is the big point today. It's the big point for Paul. It's the big point for us today in the church. What comes next after the thorn in the flesh remains? What comes next after God says, no, I want you to carry it? What are you going to do then? No, Lord, please take this away. I like the man at the Bethesda pool, want to be well? And his answer is, no, I want you to carry it instead. What are you going to do? When he says no, 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time the Lord said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer, that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The answer to Paul's prayer was clear. He didn't have to guess. The answer is no. Three times he begs the Lord to make him well. Remove this tormenting thorn in the flesh. This tormenting thing, tormenting spirit of Satan that torments his flesh. Take it away. No, no, no. I want you to carry it. Not just no. But this thorn in the flesh has an express purpose in your life. This is when we struggle. Not just no. God's not just being mean. This thorn in you, this physical trouble in your physical flesh has an expressed purpose. And what purpose could there be from a tormenting thorn in the flesh then and today? What purpose could there possibly be? God's power is made perfect. God's power is made perfect. It works best inside of our weakness. Why? Why? Because it creates in us an absolute dependence upon Him. It creates a dependence upon Him. Because if you start to depend upon yourself, that's the essence of pride. You start looking inward instead of upward. 
It is because of our weakness that makes us lean and trust totally on God instead of ourself. This thorn in the flesh reveals its ugly head every time we look inside. I can think of the Apostle Paul after he's gone, saw the third heaven. He saw things unspeakable. And then he comes back and he comes out on the normal day. And he, he's starting to feel a little bit, wow, look at me, look at me. And then he looks inside of himself, pauses to consider his current circumstance. And all he can see is the thorn. And when you see the thorn, you stop looking at you because that thorn's kind of ugly. And you start looking at him. Do you see why God did this? This thorn in the flesh reveals its ugly head. Every time we look into ourselves for strength, every time we look into ourselves for purpose, every time we look into ourselves for meaning, we just see that what could any of it mean when I'm trapped in a mortal body in the graves in front of me? What could any of it mean? We keep seeing this ugly, tormenting thorn of weakness. We keep seeing this ugly, tormenting thorn of insufficiency. This ugly, tormenting thorn makes us do what we would not naturally do. We look up instead of inside. We take our eyes off of us and we put our eyes on Him. Pride is overcome and the power is then. When that moment comes in your life, when that moment comes, when you're no longer seeking meaning and purpose in your life, looking inside your heart, instead you're looking at His heart. Are you ready? Then and only then will the power of God be manifest in you. Only then. Because the reality is, you don't have any power. He does. When you get it, church, and when you get it, Paul got it. Some of you in this room, you get it. And when you get it, this is so, so powerful. It kind of takes the pressure off of you. It takes the pressure off of us. That God's not looking for me to be powerful. He's looking for me to be humble. He's the powerful one. He just wants me to go down and he'll raise me up. But I want to raise myself up. Then you'll have to go down. And when you get it, it's powerful. And when you don't get it, listen, you just get tormented and frustrated. And eventually you just get angry with God and say, wow, you mean you can take me to the third heaven, but you can't fix this? Well, you're not who you say you are. Pride. Pride. It's what took Satan down. When you get it, get what? Let's be practical. Get what? Are you ready? My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for your life. My power, this is God talking to us, my power works best when you're weak. I know, Terry, you don't think that, but it's still true. My power, God to me, my power works best when you don't know what you're doing. And when you know that you don't know what you're doing. My power works best. What is the grace? My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My grace. What is, what is the grace? This is my favorite part. What is the grace? It's the calling. It's, it's what he did to Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul's going the wrong way. He's going to Damascus to persecute Christianity. And the calling, he interacted with God on the road to Damascus. My grace is enough. What is the grace? The grace is the calling of God. The calling of God which came before the thorn. Understand that in the context, he didn't get the thorn until after he got the revelation. The calling which was before the thorn in the flesh. Now let me ask you, has it ever become a problem for you, this calling? Causing you to, has the, let me put it this way. 
Has the physical limitation of your flesh ever been a problem with you calculating the value of the calling? That may sound a little crazy. What's the value of the calling in comparison to the cost of the thorn? Maybe that's a better way. What's the value of the calling? The Apostle Paul's on his road to Damascus. He's, he's anti-Christ, okay? He's against Christ. But he has a calling. He encounters God. But the problem with the encounter of God is it brought a thorn in the flesh. What's the value of the calling compared to the cost of the thorn? The value of the calling is eternal. The cost of the thorn is temporary. It's a good deal. That calling is God's grace. And His grace is enough to get you through the tormenting thorn in your flesh. The calling is enough. My grace is sufficient. The calling of God is enough. Just rest in the calling. The calling is the prize. The calling is the treasure. Reminds me of the parable of Jesus. When he says this guy goes out into the field and he finds this treasure in the field and he understands the value of the treasure. He goes back, he covers it up, hides it so nobody else gets his treasure. He goes back and he sells everything he's got. He sells everything so that he might buy the field to take possession of the treasure. That's the grace. That's the calling. When you see it, the thorn has no more value. The, the cost of the thorn is nothing compared to the treasure of the calling. The, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. So Paul's response. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I may suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, see he gets it, when I am weak, then and only then am I really strong. Listen church, pride doesn't come through suffering. Nobody ever gets prideful because they suffer. God's power does. I don't want to suffer. I don't want you to suffer. I'm not acting like I do. But listen, the truth is this. Pride never comes from suffering. But God's power does. So Paul says, so I, I welcome the suffering because it's welcoming the power. Pride doesn't come through our weakness. You're never prideful when you're weak. But God's power comes when you're weak. So Paul says, I welcome the weakness. Let me ask you a question. It's a silly question. Do you want God's power in your life? Everybody would say yes, but understand the truth. God's power is never manifest through self. God's power is never manifest through self. It's manifest when self moves out of the way. When it's not about you. God says he never shares his glory with another. Move out of the way. This is called faith. This is called freedom. When you can take pleasure and see purpose in those tormenting thorns in your flesh and in your life in general, it's called faith and it's called freedom. Paul had a personal encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. The purpose of that encounter was that Paul would personally see and hear from the risen Christ, and that Paul would become a witness and an apostle to the Jews and the Gentiles. And the result of that was power. It was a power that changed planet Earth. Paul, a preacher to the Gentiles, changed the world. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're still talking about him. More than half of the New Testament was written by him. 
He changed the world. There was power. Paul was even taken to the third heaven to see things he couldn't even talk about. Those things that he saw must have prepared him to endure through those many years of the thorn in the flesh, through the many years of suffering. That, those events, his meeting Jesus, going to see the third heaven, prepared him, gave him powerful endurance. Many years of suffering, many years of persecution. The American church cannot comprehend this. Many people in the rest of the world, they, they live it. And I think there's a day coming that the Lord tarries that we're going to experience it. Are you prepared for suffering? Just in case you think in your life so far you've had it rough, let me give you a scale. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty one. 21. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I'm sounding like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often. He's bragging about his prison life. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. I've faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and dangers from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? That's what, that's what that thorn and that calling cost. Weigh that next to the calling. The calling is the grace. God said the grace is sufficient. It's enough. God said the grace is enough to compensate for the calling and the suffering. Do you believe it? You heard his life. It's hard. So here's my summary. I've gone through all of that to get very personal, something that's a little uncomfortable for me. But it's a powerful point I want to share. It's not revealed by the Apostle Paul, even though the Apostle Paul was the foundation of what God revealed to me through the Apostle Peter. One verse that transformed my life, sustained me and spoke to me in a powerful way this last year. And yes, I believe the Word of God is alive. And you need to understand when I say this, I believe and I've experienced multiple times that when I read the Word of God, He communicates to me directly, personally. One verse that transformed my life late last year. One verse specifically revealed to me by the Holy Spirit when I was suffering in my thorn of the flesh heart condition that manifests itself here on a Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, 2023. After all of that, I was seeking an answer from God. And He spoke to me very clearly. 1 Peter 4.1 So then Christ suffered physical pain. Christ the Son of God suffered physical pain. So you must arm yourself with the same attitude that He had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically, are you ready? Here it is. If you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. 
Jesus suffered physical pain. Like the Apostle Paul, Jesus suffered physical pain. The followers of Christ must be prepared. Are you listening? You must be prepared and willing to suffer physical pain in your flesh, in your body. We must arm ourselves with the same attitude of Jesus. Being willing to suffer in the flesh, in the body. To suffer in the flesh from the inside. Listen carefully. To suffer in the flesh from the inside. That's like the thorn in the flesh that the Apostle Paul was given. Or to physically suffer from the outside. Like Jesus from the trial to the crucifixion. He suffered from the outside. They beat him. They spit upon him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him. They scourged him. They hung him on a tree. They put nails in his hands. To suffer from the inside, from the thorn of the flesh, from a physical body ailment, or to suffer from the outside, from the pressures of the, the world. You must equip yourself. Why? Why does he say this? Why does he bring this up? And he answers the question. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. This is what the, the Lord through the Holy Spirit, through the Scripture revealed so clearly. If you are willing and if you have prepared yourself for this suffering of the flesh, physical suffering, you have finished with sin. Most of my life, if I'd have read that verse, I could not have explained it. I probably would have tried, but I couldn't do it. What do you mean, finished with sin? I didn't understand it, but I can tell you, I do now. And let me ask you, do you understand that? I'm going to read it. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. What's it mean? I want you to think about it for a moment. He connects physical suffering to overcoming sin. Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before the cross. And when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, it was a defining moment in his life. Because from this point, it was to suffer or to not to suffer. It was to suffer or not. It was in his power to suffer or not. To suffer, to prepare himself to suffer or not in the Garden. Let me read it to you. Luke 22. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. This is Jesus in the garden. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Can you see the Apostle Paul afterwards? Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Father, would you take this thorn of the flesh away from me? See, there's a, there's the human part of Jesus' life. Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Such agony. Jesus is suffering in the flesh. His flesh and his spirit are in agony. His flesh is sweating like dripping blood to the ground. He is tormented in the flesh. You have to understand that he is a man. He's like us. The book of Hebrews says he was made like us in every way so that he might be a high priest, sufficient high priest to stand between man and God. He's suffering in the flesh, in agony, in the flesh. And he comes to the garden to suffer or not. To suffer or not. To be willing to suffer or not. In that moment, Jesus had the power to look into the flesh and deny his ultimate calling to die on the cross. Listen carefully. In that moment, what does he ask the Father? Would you take this cup of suffering away from me? He can look into the flesh 
and deny his very purpose and his calling in life, which was the cross. In that moment of torment, in that moment of suffering, Jesus died to himself. And he yielded himself to the will and the purpose of God the Father. In that moment, he did something. Listen, and the reason I make such a big deal out of this, because this moment will come in your life. It comes in everybody's life. In that moment, he did something. He looked up instead of looking inside. He looked up instead of looking inside his own flesh that was in torment. In that moment, if all you look is in the torment, you will not fulfill the purpose of God. But if you look up, denying self, that's when the power of God is manifest in your life. You must be willing to suffer. In that moment, he yielded his human pride to the perfect will of the Father. And in that moment, defeating the pride of Satan, defeating the pride of man. Like Paul, he asked the Father to take it away. Notice the similarity. Like Paul, he asked the Father to take it away, this cup of suffering. But like Paul, he accepted the answer, no. Listen, carry it. The cross. Paul, I want you to carry the thorn of the flesh, revealing that my grace is enough for you. It's sufficient. Carry it. Jesus, I want you to carry the cross, the cup of suffering. Carry it. And he did. Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In that moment, Jesus did what the first Adam couldn't do. He overcame Satan and the self-centered pride of Satan. Self-centered was transformed, transferred to God-centered dependence. Instead of depending upon the flesh, which was in torment, he looked away from himself and looked at God and became dependent upon God, bringing victory over the flesh and sin. In that moment, listen, from a spiritual perspective, in that moment, Jesus crushed the serpent's head and he made a way for me and you to do the same exact thing, to crush the pride of Satan that led to the fall of man. Jesus said, not in this house, not in me. May the Father's will be done. So here's my closing today. I told you that that one verse changed my life, and I don't, it's very personal for me how God used that to prepare me, strengthen me, encourage me. I told you that that one verse changed my life, and it changed my life by revealing the result of suffering in the flesh. And standing with God, trusting in God in the midst of that suffering, knowing that I had somehow gotten a heart condition that wasn't improving. It was just there, like a thorn in the flesh. Now let me read to you the rest of it. First Peter 4.1 So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. And what will be the result of that activity? You won't spend the rest of your lives change, chasing your own desires. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. I need to read it again. This was so powerful to me. When you get to the point that Paul was with the thorn. When you get to the point where Jesus was in the garden, when you get to those points and instead of looking at the suffering of your flesh, you're looking at the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God instead of you. When you come to that garden of Gethsemane moment in your life, facing the call of God upon you, when you come to that garden of physical suffering, even to the point of death, 
When maybe at that point, in that place, you have to look death right in the eye. When you come to that garden and face that thorn in the flesh, when you come to the place in your life where you are forced by God to face your human mortality, maybe not just physical suffering, maybe death itself, when you come to that garden moment and you in that moment, like Jesus, like Paul, when you in that moment choose to look up to God instead of looking into yourself, when you look up to God, even to the point of death itself, like Jesus at the cross, you are done with sin. Anybody listening? You are done with sin. You know why you're done with sin? What else can Satan do to you? In that moment in the garden, when Jesus is willing to die on a cross, knowing what was about to happen, what else can Satan do to him? Nothing. What else can Satan do to you in that moment? Nothing. Even unto death. I'm willing to suffer even unto death because I know that the calling and the grace of God is of greater value than the cost of physical suffering. It's worth more still. When you are willing to trust God with your life, your flesh and all of its thorns, you are done with sin because Satan no longer has power over you. Human pride will not survive that garden fire of testing. If you think your pride is going to get you out of that garden when you're tested with the thorn of the flesh and when you're tested with physical suffering, you think your pride's going to get you out of the garden into survival, your pride will destroy you because your pride will cause you to look inward when your only hope is to look upward. Revelation 12, 9 reveals what I just explained. This great dragon, in Ezekiel, it was pride that took him down. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, filled with pride, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. How does he do it? Pride! You think you're self-existing? You think you're self-sufficient? You think you can fix your problems? The first time you get sick, you'll realize you can't. The first time something happens to your physical flesh and you can't stand up, you can't walk, you can't heal yourself, you can't do any of it. Your pride will be of no value to you. Or when you stand or when you lay on that deathbed, your pride will disappear. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it's come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. They defeated Satan. How did they defeat him? They defeated him, number one, by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, by their testimony. And number three, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They were like the Apostle Paul, the thorn in the flesh. They were like Jesus in the garden. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die because they knew that the grace, the calling of God was of more value than the flesh. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live on the, in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing he has little time. Today I tell you, he has little time left. There was one more powerful revelation from God. I wish I could explain how God communicates. I know this. The Bible says the Word of God is alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, able to do supernatural things that we cannot explain to the Spirit of man. 
that day when God was doing what he was doing in me, through me, and around me, revealing himself to me, there was one more verse he gave me. And listen, I almost didn't put it in here because I thought, well, it's very personal. You shouldn't share it. And then I said, no, that's not how this works. So I'm going to tell you before I read it, you do with it what you want to. I can already tell you what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to believe it. It's verse 7 through 11. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And God has given each of you a gift. I'm going to look at the room. God has given each of you a gift. From his great variety of spiritual gifts, all of you got something. Use them well to serve one another. God gave Paul a gift, but it came with a thorn. It came with suffering, but the gift is greater than the thorn. Use them well. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God applies, supplies. Then everything you do, every, then in this state of serving God, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever 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 and ever. Listen, here's the truth. The calling of God usually brings a thorn of hardship. The American church is struggling with this because we've never had to deal with it. The calling is the ultimate gift. Who am I that you would call me? Who, who am I? Who is man? Who is the son of man that you would even know my name? And yet you call me, you call Terry Cooper to come into your kingdom to be part of your family? The calling is the ultimate gift. The God of our ancestors. Here's what Paul revealed. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. The God of our ancestors, the God of heaven, has chosen you to hear him, to know him, to believe him, and to communicate him to others. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Because... You're going to stand accountable before this God. What are, you, what are you doing with this calling of God? But, 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 preacher, it comes with a thorn. There's suffering. We must see the calling is larger and greater than the thorn. Why? Because the thorn is temporary. And the call of grace is eternal. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation time. The thorn is temporary. I believe that the Lord tarries, the American church is going to suffer. As I told you earlier already, I'm surprised that we're already on platforms such as YouTube and Facebook. I'm, I'm surprised we're still there. Why? Because the world is not going to tolerate this message much longer. And the question is going to be, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to shrink back? Are you going to stop sharing that which you once believed to be true? Or would you stand knowing, knowing that if you stand, if you stand, you're going to face suffering. You're going to face opposition. What are you going to do with that? He said his answer to the thorn that's on the inside or the thorn that's on the outside. The thorn on the inside was something inside Paul's body. The thorn on the outside was the suffering of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. Whether it's inside or whether it's outside. What are you going to do about the suffering? What are you going to do when 
What you believe to be true confronts the spirit of Antichrist in the world. What are you going to do? My grace is sufficient to you. Listen, here's the last point. If you, here's God to the church. If you will go down in the face of opposition, if you'll humble yourself, don't look inside you. Do not look inside yourself. Do not look inside you. If you will, when you will, if you will humble yourself and look to me, I will give you power. I will give you a supernatural power in that moment that will overcome the enemy, that will overcome anything. You, you might suffer. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you might die. But you will overcome. So church, are you ready to suffer for the cause of Christ? Would you bear it in your flesh? Will you bear it in your life? It's time to think about it. It's not a game anymore. It's time to think about it. Because on the last day, there's going to be a line drawn. And Jesus will be the line and you'll be on one side or the other. Choose well. Choose well. The invitation's open. Let's stand together.